0: So have you ever heard yourself say, wow, what were the chances of that? Or what are the odds of that happening? Or I never would have thought in a million years. Or what about this? That's a flat miracle. That's a flat miracle. Have you ever heard yourself say that? Well, if you have said one of those phrases, we, we probably said it in the past tense, looking back At something that took place that we didn't think was going to take place in other words the odds of that we thought were slim we thought it was a slim chance of coming to pass but it did because then we were in shock and amazement oh wow can you believe that but you know what that's God that's God's heart God's heart is that we always overcome. We always experience victory. We always beat the odds because here's the deal. There's odds against us all the time, every day. You wake up and the odds are already set against you. The devil makes sure of that. And especially if you're a Christian, but God has enabled us to overcome the odds, to overcome the challenges, right? So he wants us to know that through his power, through his ability, through his grace working through us, that nothing is impossible. Like the song that we sang, anything is possible. Anything is possible. You may be facing a very impossible situation this morning. You may feel hopeless. You may feel helpless. You may feel abandoned. But I'm just here to tell you that God has a plan for you, and it's a good one. It's one to bring you up and out of that and set you on this course going forward where he has nothing but good things for you. So there's some examples that we're going to see today that against all odds, despite the many difficulties, the setbacks, no matter the opposition, No matter the seemingly insurmountable obstacles, these people overcame. They overcame because they chose to. That's the key. There's a key with all this, and we have to choose to. It doesn't just happen because God wants it to. I have to do something. There's the God side, and then there's the man side. So he has made all things possible. He's given us the toolbox with everything in it that we need to for the to pertain to that life that's full of godliness, victory, hope and health and healing. But there's something I have to do. I have to get those things out of that toolbox. If you ever go to the toolbox, how many of you ladies have a toolbox? That's all. <laughs> Well, the one I have here, Michael and Pastor Bruce are always getting into it, so when I go to get something, it's not there. So I let him know about that, and so he knew that I was a little, you know, not so happy. So he went and bought me one, and I've got my name on it, and I've hidden it underneath my desk. So nobody has found that one so far. But. The toolbox does me no good if I don't open it up and get something out of it. If I need a screwdriver, I have got to open up the box, pull out the screwdriver, and then take it to the project that I need it for, right? And it has to be the right thing. I don't need a flathead for a Phillips job, right? Okay. Are you guys tracking with me? So the first two examples I want to look at these, these ladies, they, they haven't got much credit. I've never heard anybody speak on these two ladies. But this is found in Exodus chapter 1. And I'm going to read um, a few verses. So go with me to Exodus chapter 1. So this is when Joseph had died already. Okay? Joseph had died. All, you know, his brothers had been reunited with him. But Joseph has died. So I'm going to pick up at verse 8. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies, they'll fight against us, and they'll leave us, and they'll leave the country. They were afraid they were going to leave the country because, see, they were using them worker bees okay and they were also afraid of them so this is verse 11 so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor and they built pithom and Ramses as store cities for pharaoh but the more they were oppressed the more they multiplied and spread isn't that interesting the more the hebrews were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So don't tell me that just because we experience opposition, we can't increase, we can't experience victory. Don't tell me that. If you want the oil from the olive, what do you gotta do? You gotta apply some oppression. You gotta apply some pressure. You gotta squeeze, you gotta press if you want the olive oil. Or if you, if you don't, if there's no pressure there's no oil. What happens to a tea bag? I've got this tea bag. I love tea. I want some tea. But me sitting here talking about this tea bag is not going to do me any good unless I put it in what? Hot water? Because the hot water brings out what's in the tea bag. So sometimes we have to look at opposition as something that's going to bring something out. We can't always look at opposition as oh. Oh god, what am I going to do? The devil's attacking me. The devil's attacking me. No, don't stay there. Say, "Lord, opposition is not from you. Bad things are not from you, but you're going to turn this around for my good, and I'm going to learn something from it." I want to back up here to what I said before when Pharaoh said, "Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous." He was of af- what? He was afraid. Fear makes bad decisions. If you're in fear, fear makes bad decisions. That's why when opposition comes, you can't be afraid. You, got, you may need to step back and regroup, and you may need to get in your prayer closet and pray and get the mind of God on that thing. But wigging out and going crazy doesn't do anybody any good. Okay? When something happens, and things happen. Guys, we live on a cursed earth. Stuff's going to happen. It's just going to happen. To believers and non-believers alike. But it's what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I'm telling you, opposition is an opportunity. What are we going to do with it? Odds and opportunities. What are we going to do? So the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. Do you know what dread means? It means... To anticipate with great apprehension and fear, reluctant to face or meet. So the Egyptians were like, oh my word, we have to deal with the Hebrews. And they're growing, they're increasing. So they, they were dreading to deal with them. And they worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields in all their harsh labor. The Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, When you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let these boys live? And the midwives answered Pharaoh, Sir, you don't understand. These Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They're vigorous. They give birth before the midwives even arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. So the Egyptians were intimidated by the Israelites because they had become a great nation in number. They were afraid that they were going to combine with their enemies and start a war and conquer them. So Satan gave the Pharaoh an idea of control and manipulation. He said, we're gonna kill these babies. So we're gonna stop them from multiplying. Sounds like something else that we, that's going on today, right? So there was a genocide of these Hebrew babies. But verse 12, we see that Pharaoh's plan did not happen. Against the odds, the more they were oppressed, the more they the multiplied. So much that it sent the Egyptians into panic and fear. Like I said before, fear causes you to make poor and bad decisions. So I want to say this, that Hebrew history, I dug to find this because I wanted to know if those midwives were Hebrew or were they Egyptian. Most of the Hebrew scholars, including Josephus, say that they were not Hebrew. I know that your version probably said the Hebrew midwives. But they they believed that they were not Hebrew because it would have been very difficult for the Hebrew to kill their own people. So they were probably Egyptian or either, uh, you know, captured slaves from some other nation when they went to war. But most likely they weren't Hebrew. So that's the light that we're going to look at Shithra and Puah in is they were not Hebrew. They were Egyptian. Okay? So... Nevertheless, whatever whatever ethnicity they were, they outright disobeyed the mandate of the Pharaoh, right? Because at some point they came to know the Hebrew God, so they actually feared the disobedience of God more than they did the disobedience to Pharaoh. They made that choice to disobey the Pharaoh instead of God because they had seen some things about the Hebrew people, the Israelites. They had been with them, And they had seen some things firsthand, and they were like, there's something to this God. There's something to this people. He takes care of them. He provides for them. Even though they're in this forced labor and in this terrible circumstance, he takes care of them. And, you know, if you're around the Hebrews long enough, they know the Torah. They know the books of Moses. And so they learned, they heard, and they made a choice to believe they made a choice to believe. Do we have the same conviction? Do we have a holy reverence for our Father more than a holy reverence for the things in the world? Do we, are, are we a f- more concerned about displeasing Him or pleasing people? Do we care more about agreeing with people or people pleasing or being accepted than obedience to the Lord? You know, Pastor's been on that series called Conforming And we can see that society is pushing and mandating us to fit into their mold. To be a duplicate and a pattern of them. But that's not what God wants. You know, we had better wake up and see what's happening and say no. God doesn't want you to be a cookie cutter. You're an original. You're a masterpiece. You're a work of art. That's why we all look different. Aren't you glad that we don't all look the same? How boring would that be? We all have different hair color, different skin color. We just look different. It's different sizes and different shapes. It's a picture of heaven. And that's a good thing. So he doesn't want cookies that look the same or taste the same. He likes variation. So Pharaoh calls Shifra and Puah on the carpet and he interrogates them. Right? And he says, these wives, these women, you just don't understand. They're strong and they're vigorous. Well, how did they get that way? God. God enabled them. But these two women, Shifra and Pua, they were bold and they they were courageous. They were trailblazers of their time. They went against the grain. They weren't concerned about what it looked like to others around them. They didn't conform to the executive order that went against their heart. You know, that was an executive order. It was from the king. But they didn't obey that executive order. They had experienced something that transformed who they were into what they became. They experienced something that transformed them from who they were into who they became. They made the decision. They chose not to allow the tyrannical Pharaoh to intimidate or manipulate them into cowering before him. You know, they also had to look past who they were in the natural. They knew who they were. They knew where they came from. They knew how they had been taught. This was a new way of life. There were probably some old mindsets, some old traditions there were probably even some cultural things they had to be willing to leave behind in order to pick up the new life that God was willing to give them. He's always extending, but there's some things that we have to leave behind because if I keep hanging on to all that I've got, all that I have, all that I've experienced, all that I think I am, I have no hand to pick up who God wants me to be. So I've got to let go in order to make that great divine exchange. So they had this opportunity before them, and they chose to walk through the door of blessing. They left everything behind, and God blessed them, and he gave them families of their own. And the Israelites still continued to grow in number. Against all odds, they made the right choice. Against all odds, they made the right choice. They could have been killed, but they made the right choice. Now we're going to look at Rahab. Rahab's quite a girl. So Joshua had been made the leader of the Israelites after Moses had died. And he sends these two spies to spy out the land of the territory that they were in and plus the city of Jericho. So they come to Rahab's house and um, the king of Jericho finds out And he sends a message to Rahab and he says, you need to bring those Israelite men out because they're here to spy out the land, spy out the city, see where our weaknesses are and they're going to go to war with us and they're going to take us down. So again, what do we see? Fear. Fear. But Rahab told the king, she said, I don't know where they went. They left. And I'm not sure, you know, I don't know where they are, but I bet if you send a scout out, to track them down, you can find them and you, you can kill them. But actually, she had hidden them on her roof under a bunch of stalks of flax. And they make linen from flax. So I want to pick up and I want to read right here at Joshua chapter uh, 2. And I'm going to read verse 8. But I'm going to read out of the Passion Version. Before this... Spies had gone to sleep. Rahab went up to the housetop and said to them, I know that Yahweh has given you this land. Everyone is absolutely terrified. And we're all paralyzed with fear because of you. We've heard of the miracles that accompany you and how Yahweh dried up the waters of the Red Sea for for you for when you left Egypt. We've heard how you utterly annihilated the two Amorite kings, Sihon and Og, and their kingdoms who were on the other side of the Jordan. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted with fear and we were left with no courage among us because of you. Yahweh your God is the true God who rules in heaven and above and here and on earth below. Please solemnly swear to me by the name of Yahweh that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother and brothers and sisters and all their families and don't let us be killed. You know, Rahab took a great risk in hiding these men. This was actually an act of treason. She could have been killed as well. Um, But obviously, she had heard, they all had heard about God and what he had done for the Hebrew people. I think that's interesting because no one in Jericho but Rahab chose to believe that God was the one true God. Something in her caused her to open up her mind and say, I'm going to consider this. I'm going to believe this. There's something to this. Look how he causes them to conquer. Look how he causes them to overcome. Look how he fights for them. Look how things are just laid open for them. So those things caused her to, be, to think about that. And when those two spies came into her house, she said, I've heard about your God. He is the one true God. Were you, can we be saved? So she took a huge, huge risk. And she lists off those victories. So, I mean, they had seen firsthand because she lists those off what she had seen. So when they came to her house, she had already made the decision, I'm going to serve this God. I don't know how, but I'm going to serve this God. No one was trying to convince her of who God was. She already made the intentional choice to believe based on the information that she had. So I'm going to submit this for your consideration. I was thinking about this in studying this. And I just, you know, I'm going to submit it for you to think about. What if the only reason God sent the spies to Jericho was to save Rahab? Not to conquer the city, but to save the woman and her family. Because they weren't allowed to take any spoils from the city. So it wasn't the things and the stuff they were going to get from the city. What if God sent those spies there to connect with Rahab. And she intentionally chose. She had a choice. I'm going to serve this God. I want to know more about this God. And so the connection was made. God in all his mercy had a plan and a purpose for Rahab. He saw her heart and what she had taken into consideration. She chose the reverential fear and awe respect of Jehovah over the intimidating fear of the king of Jericho. She made a choice. Not knowing the outcome. She made a choice not knowing the outcome. That's what we have to do sometimes. We have to make a choice not knowing the outcome because this is a life of faith that we live. If we trust God enough, when we make that choice and we face that opposition, and it's hard sometimes, it's painful sometimes, we don't want to face opposition. I don't know about you, but I don't like it. But if I have to face it, But I know my God. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt of my God because I've got to know Him. I know His heart. I know His heart towards me. I trust Him. I trust Him. I may not know what's going to happen, but I trust Him so I can be okay. I can be okay because I trust Him. You know, I don't know for sure because the Bible doesn't make it clear. But I do know God is like that. He will send somebody from Georgia all the way to Timbuktu. I'll just say this. God will send somebody from Dekula all the way to Tanzania to get someone who needs surgery here because there's not surgery possible there. Because God is interested in people. He's interested in you. It's the amount of the surrender and the trust that he's able to move and do things in our life. The more I hang on and hold, I can't walk through the door of opportunity. But Rahab's entire family was saved because of her bold, courageous choice to walk through that door, which led her to freedom. It opened the door for destiny to be fulfilled in her life. I'm sure you guys know this, but Rahab ended up... She was not married. She was a prostitute. That was her occupation. You know, that was a pretty nasty occupation. I mean, really? But you know what she did? She married a man named Salmon. Not Solomon, but Salmon. And he was from the tribe of Judah. And they had a son, and his name was Boaz. Boaz. And Boaz married Ruth, and they had a son named Obed. And then Obed got married. I'm not sure what her name was. But Obed and his wife had a son named Jesse. And Jesse had a bunch of sons, and the youngest one was named David. David. And David, as we know through that lineage, here comes Jesus. Do you mean to tell me there's a prostitute in the lineage of Jesus? You mean there's a prostitute in our family? Yeah, former prostitute, absolutely. So do you see that nothing shocks God Nothing is too horrific for God. Nothing is too shameful for God. Nothing is too embarrassing for God. The only thing that he's interested in is your release of that. She released that occupation of prostitution. And she took on uh, the covenant woman of God. So that's what we've got to do. We've got to release all this junk that's in our life. And I know that it's Mother's Day. But guys, everybody has junk. Men and women, we carry baggage, right? Baggage isn't limited to women. Now, we like it. We like purses and suitcases and travel and all that, right? But stuff happens to men too, right? So God can do miraculous things. When we exchange our past for his purpose, there's a divine cha- exchange that comes into play here. That's what I call it a divine exchange. So he wants to take, how precious is that? Would you do that? Would you take somebody's trash and give them treasure? Jesus does. When we exchange our trash, he gives us treasure. He gives us identification. Hallelujah. When we completely surrender, He can do do the most amazing configurations, reconstructions, and reformations. Look in the mirror. If you don't believe me, look in the mirror. But He's not finished. There's more to do. There's always more to do. But look in the mirror because it's begun. It has begun. Hallelujah. There's no past too deplorable for God not to use. Rahab took the opportunity to make this great exchange and walk through the door to give up the lifestyle of prostitution and become a woman of prominence and substance. Paul even mentions her in Hebrews chapter 11. You know, so many times in life, we allow the things that have happened to us to to determine whether we can walk through the door of opportunity. So I have this illustration that I want to do. So, grab your baggage, sir. So here's your um, harboring resentment. Here's your um, unforgiveness and past hurt. Here's your some critical judgment, critical and judgmental rape, abortion, and adulthood trauma. Some of these are funny. But some of these are not funny because people deal with these things. Yes. Okay? So I don't want to make light of it. I'm trying to make a point. I've experienced one of those on that suitcase. And I told the devil, no, you're not going to stop the plan that you have for my life. What about this one? Childhood trauma, divorce, and abuse, all kinds of abuse. Oh, come on. You can carry it. What's a little bit more weight, right? Addictions. Bitterness, anger, and the past. Isn't this true, though? I mean, it all piles up. And it tries to hook on to you because we allow it. But we allow it. That's the thing. We allow it, and then we're just burdened down and we're just a mess anyway you get the point right wounded emotions and hurt feelings bad self-image rejection now some of these are stylish and they're very popular right now and every act i mean after all everybody's dealing with it i mean it's very popular and it's stylish it's fashionable Fashionable girls, culture and fear, ethnicity, pride. (laughs) But we come to church, we worship Jesus, we pray. And we want to walk through opportunity. We pray for the door to open. God, open the door, open the door, open the door, open the door. And the door is open and we try to walk through it. And because we've got so much baggage, because we have so much junk that we haven't got rid of, we can't get through the door. We can't walk through the door because we have all this stuff hanging on us, and so we miss it, we miss it. The days and times that we live in, opportunities are presenting themselves to us, and we have to seize them because they're gonna go away. I believe things are very um, time sensitive today, and if we don't seize that opportunity when it comes, We're going to miss it and it won't present itself again. That's why it's so important to walk free, to walk in freedom, to walk in deliverance, to get rid of it. And you know, there's a lot of times we don't even know that we're dealing with this stuff. We don't know it, but something triggers us and like I react, weird. So that should tell me, okay, something's amiss, something's wrong. So I go to the Lord, and I say, Father, show me, show me. He is so precious. He will show you. You ask him, he will show you. Because he's good like that. Thank you, Carson. Didn't he do a great job? He endured a lot. It's really hot under all those masks. That's why we don't like to wear them, because we can't breathe. We can't see. He can't see. Did you notice that? I I taped that on there on purpose so that he couldn't really see. It blinds you. All this stuff will blind you. Have we failed to walk through the door of opportunity because we were carrying so much baggage Can you do that in inventory, do some personal inventory in your life and see, have I missed an opportunity? Am I carrying something? I want you to go from today and I want you to to ask yourself that question. Lord, am I carrying anything that I don't need to carry? You know, Jesus died on the cross for all that. Jesus died on the cross for all this. And all those other little bags over there. And all the stuff that's on the helmet. There's nothing that you experience in this life that the blood hasn't paid for. But I have, to, I have to let it go. But oh, the great things that he replaces. The great things that he gives us instead. The peace. Oh, the peace of God that can reside in my heart if I let stuff go. In Hebrews chapter 11, I think this is, oh, this is the Passion Translation. This is what Paul wrote about Moses. Faith enabled Moses to choose God's will. For although he was raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he refused to make that his identity. Choosing instead to suffer mistreatment with the people of God, Moses preferred faith certainty above The momentary enjoyment of sin's pleasure. He had it made being in the Pharaoh's house. He had it made being the adoptive son of the Pharaoh's daughter. He had it made. He was next in line. He was gonna be the next Pharaoh. But when he found out who he really was, he couldn't live with the fact of living a lie. He had to face who he really was. He wasn't gonna let that be his identity because it was a fake one. It would have been a fake identity. Did you ever make yourself a fake ID when you were younger so you could buy liquor or get into the clubs or whatever? You didn't? Well, I didn't either because I always looked older than I was. So I, but, but the point is I tried to do something that I wasn't supposed to do. But my friends, some of my friends, they did. They did change, you know, and they made this fake ID card. But that's not who you really are. There's enough fake in the world, you know? I may look all put together, but let me tell you what it took to get here this morning. (laughs) Yesterday, I found five kittens out here in the uh, air conditioning units. I don't have time to deal with five kittens. I don't even do cats. But my heart, because they were babies. So I wanna make this short, but I had the cats to deal with this morning because we're trying to find them homes. There's two left, by the way, two left. We have them, they're adorable. Twins, (laughs) precious. Obedient. They're free. I'll pay you
1: $50.
0: (laughs) Cash. (laughs) And then, I don't know, just stuff happened at home, you know. And then I was running late, and then this happened, and this happened. And then I'm up here, and I'm like, my notes aren't up here. Oh, my God, where's my notes, where's my notes, where's my notes? So I had Pastor Bruce get my notes. And just all kinds of things were happening this morning. You know what I said? I was unloading my car with all this stuff, and I realized that I had left. There was something important that I couldn't find. It it was money. It was my tie checks. I couldn't find them. And I was like, oh my gosh, I know I had them. I I remembered them last night. So I just began to sweat and I was nervous. And I said, wait, wait, wait a minute. No, I see, I see this. I see this. (laughs) No, (laughs) not today. So I prayed in the Holy Ghost and I said, "Lord, I just thank you. You're gonna, you're gonna make me connect everything, and I'm gonna know right where those checks are." And so I was driving back home, and I took a deep breath, and I, I, I'm here. I, I promise you, peace came over me. Peace came over me, and I just was like, I felt, don't worry, they're there. You're gonna find them. You're gonna put your hand on them. I walked right in the house, looked at one place that wasn't there, walked to the other place, and there they were. I did it. I took some stuff out of my purse, and they were in this other papers that I wasn't going to need this morning, but there they were. But I said, no, you're not going to frustrate me. No, you're not going to get me sidetracked. No, you're not going to get me all flustered where I'm just just a mess. I'm a hot mess. No, I'm not going to be a hot mess. Ladies, you don't have to be a hot mess. Sometimes we think that's noble. Oh, I'm just one hot mess. I'm just a hot mess. It's not noble. It's not noble to be a hot mess. We need to be put together. Now, there's a road to, from here to being put together. Of course. That's what the word is for. Right? So let me get back. I got off track. Okay. But Moses didn't take the fake identity. He took the real one. That's why walking in a fake identity is not going to work for you and I. It won't fit. And there's going to be more complications if I walk in that fake identity. So I've got to be who God wants me to be. I need to be who he's called me to be. So it's best if I let all this stuff go so I can take what he has and walk in what he wants me to. I can, and there's a lot of people walking in their fake identity, but it's not working well for them. Ask them, how's that working for you? It's not working. It's our faith and trust in God that we're empowered to make the right choice. It's trust and faith in God that we can do the hard things that are required. Life is hard. It's not always easy, right? To obey God isn't always easy. You know, Paul knew well about doors of opportunity and the things that would attempt to keep him from walking through that door. 1 Corinthians 16.9 says, There's an amazing door of opportunity standing open wide for me to minister there, but there are many who oppose and stand against me. He knew that already. He knew that there were those that were opposing him that were going to stand against him, but that didn't keep him from walking through the door of opportunity. Aren't you glad? Because he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. If he would have let all those beatings overcome him and keep him down and kill him, we wouldn't have the word. Aren't you glad he endured? The Amplified Classic says, For a wide door of opportunity for effectual service has opened to me. A great and promising one but there are many adversaries are we going to be willing to go through that door of opportunity knowing that there are adversaries on the other side I can be free I can be free I can let go of all this stuff and I can walk through this door but am I going to walk through it knowing that I'm going to hit up against something Or am I going to go, no, I just, I really don't like confrontation. I don't like trouble. So I'm going to stay on this side. I don't like trouble. I I, I like peace. I'm peaceful. I love peace. So I'm not going to walk through that door because I won't, you know, I'm not a confrontationalist. I don't like, I I don't like all that. Or I trust the Lord. He's on my side. He's my defender. I'm going to walk through the door of opportunity because I want to experience what God has for me. And he's whatever I'm going to face, whatever is I'm going to confront. He's there. He's there. We can't allow the fear of opposition to stand in the way of us obeying God. As long as we're on this earth, and Satan's the god of this world, and he is, we're going to face opposition. It's actually growing stronger in the days that we live in. Not sure if you've noticed that or not, but, you know, being a Christian isn't popular. Following God is not popular. Doing the right thing, according to the word, is not popular. We're like these salmon fishing or swimming upstream. (laughs) But we got to do it. God is counting on us. God was counting on the Hebrew people to go through every challenge and to always worship him, always serve him, always obey him. They didn't always do it, but he, was, he needed them to. Yes. And there was a remnant who did. It feels like there's a remnant now because, you know, you're wondering, where, where are the, really, the real true Christians? Right. But it's not the quantity It's the quality. God can save by many or by few. It doesn't matter to him. I wish I could get to Gideon today, but I can't. But, you know, it started with 20,000. And what did it trickle down to? 300. He conquered the Midianites with 300. But he started with 20,000. So it's it's the motivation of the heart. It's the position of the heart. The things that God looks at are not the things that we look at. So we've got to be in his presence, and we've got to spend time with him to say, Lord, I need to look at things how you look at them. I need to see how you see them. I need to know what you think about this. The other day, there were some things that happened, and I came to my office, and I sat down. I was the only one here, and I just started talking to Jesus. And I was talking to Jesus specifically because I was asking him, did you experience this in your ministry? Did, did you go through that? And so we had a dialogue, and he wrote it in my journal. Me, what I said, Jesus, and what he said, me, Jesus. He'll have a dialogue with you. He'll have dialogue with you. He's real. The Holy Spirit is on the inside of you, but Jesus is real. He wants to be your companion. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9. I'm going to read it out of two different translations. This is the Amplified. Paul says, We're hedged in, pressed on every side, Troubled and oppressed in every way, but we're not cramped or crushed. We suffer embarrassments. We're perplexed. We're unable to find the way out, but we're not driven to despair. I don't know about you, but if I couldn't find a way out, I might be despairing. But he says, unable to find a way out, but we're not driven to despair. We're pursued, we're persecuted, and hard-driven, but we're not deserted and stand alone. We're struck down to the ground, but we're never struck out or destroyed. So he endured some stuff, didn't he? I mean, that's some stuff. But he kept on going. And Paul was a human like us. Sometimes I think we think, well, Jesus was Jesus. You know, he's the son of God. He's like all perfect and, you know, he had all these powers. And so, you know, he could, he could do it because he was Jesus. Okay, I get that because I've said that to him. But Paul wasn't Jesus. Paul was a man just like you and I. He had feelings. He had emotions. He, he was just like you and I. So was Jesus when he came to the earth. He left all that and he became like we are. That's why he can identify with us in what we're going through because he went through it. Yes. Women, he endured the things that only women endure in our bodies, etc., on the cross. Yes. That's why we can be healed from that stuff. If you've had an abortion, he experienced what it was like. So you can be healed. You can be set free. You don't have to live in shame. That doesn't identify who you are. Glory to God. If you've been raped, if you've had a divorce. Jesus endured everything. That's why it's called the finished work of the cross. He took it all on so that we don't have to deal with this. Our bodies aren't made to carry all this. When Carson had all this on... He, he wasn't able to, to be normal. He couldn't have a normal life, right? Carrying all this stuff. Well, emotionally, psychologically, physically, we carry all this stuff. I didn't even have sickness and disease in this group, in this list. But add that to it. We, we're not made to carry all this. So Jesus did this amazing thing on the cross so that we could be free. So this is the passion translation of the 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9. Though we experience every kind of pressure, we're not crushed. At times we don't know what to do. But quitting isn't an option. I like that. Quitting isn't an option. That's been my motto for a long time. I am not a quitter. You're not going to kill me. I'm going to give up my life. The devil is not going to kill me. I'm going to go in the rapture. Amen. Yeah, you may say, well, that's a little bit arrogant. Well, you know, you you got to have some confidence in God. Yes. Or you're going to be wishy-washy, willy-nilly, all over the place. Yes. And then how how strong are you? I don't mean to say these open-ended things where I'm just saying stuff and then not explaining it. But you, you have to be resolute. You've got to be strong. If you know God, there's some things that you can say with confidence. It's not, it's not about me. In myself, I'm nothing. I'm a, I'll I'll quit. I'll quit. I don't like confrontation. I do like peace. i rather be at home, reading a book, watching the old Mission Impossibles. You guys know what I'm talking about, the older ones. Nostalgic. You know, not experiencing any difficulty or pain. But that's not what God's called me to do. So I don't think that's what God's called any of us to do. We have a time of rest, but there's some things that we've got to deal with. So just because it's God's plan and purpose and destiny for our lives doesn't mean it will always be easy. And that's not how you determine if it's God's will for your life. If it's easy and beautiful and looks like there's no, it's just all smooth sailing. No, not necessarily. Listen to this. This is Psalms 27 verse 14. I'm getting ready to close. Here's what I've learned through it all. Don't give up and don't be impatient. Be entwined as one with the Lord. Be brave and courageous, courageous and never lose hope. Keep on waiting, and God will never disappoint you. But to be entwined means I have to wrap myself in Him. I have to do something. You guys know what braids are, or are, are, are wrapping of ropes, or anything like that. That doesn't just happen on its own. You lay it down there on the table... It doesn't braid itself together. There's effort involved, right? There's weaving involved. This is Hebrews 13, 6. I encourage you to write all these things down, and you can can take a look at them later. This is the classic amplified. We take comfort, and we're encouraged, and we can confidently and boldly say, The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. I will not be seized with alarm. I will not fear or dread or be terrified. What can man do to me? To be able to walk through that door of opportunity and proceed on for what God has for us, I have to leave all the distractions, all the stereotypes, all the labels, all the offense, all the hurt, all the past. Not part of it, but all of it. What you, cho- what you don't choose to leave behind will eventually catch up to you. One day you'll wake up and find it has become a prison and you're on the inside. The Lord gave me that. So I'm going to say it again because I thought it was pretty powerful. What you don't choose to leave behind will eventually catch up with you. One day you'll wake up and find it has become a prison and you're on the inside. You know, it's a journey. It's something that you strive and you reach for. We really never arrive, we're just always working to know Jesus more, to love him more, to have more of his word. It's a journey, it's a daily thing. None of us are ever, we're not better than the other We're just on this road together, walking together. Paul even admits over in uh, Philippians chapter 3, he goes, you know, I haven't arrived yet, but it doesn't keep me from keeping on. I haven't attained what my goal is, but it doesn't stop me from stretching and reaching and walking on, even when I'm tired. Even when I want to give up. Even when it looks hopeless. Because his hope is set in Christ. His trust is set in Christ. Psalms 56 verses 9 and 11 says, Then my enemies shall turn back in that day that I cry out. This I know. This I know. God is for me. We need to be able to say that with confidence. This, I know. There's some things that I don't know, but this one thing I do know. God is for me. Who can be against me? If God is for you, who can be against you? There's a whole lot of people that want to tell you who can be against you. Okay? There's a lot of people screaming. There's a lot of people yelling. There's a lot of voices that they want to tell you that they're against you. And they want to make it seem really um, like you're surrounded, very intimidating, very scary. But the word says, if God is for you, who can be against you? Nobody. Because when you trust in God, he'll take care of you. He will preserve you. He will protect you. He goes on and says, in God, whose word I praise. In God, I have put my trust and confident reliance. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? David wrote that when he was being pursued by his enemies. So what will you do with the opportunities that are presented to you? Will you find excuses or will you say, Lord, I'm ready to do this. Let's, Let's do this thing. Staring death in the faith, our heroes in the faith chose to do the right thing no matter what the cost, because they saw the greater the greater offense was disobedience to God. That's what we need to see. No matter what the cost, the greater the greater offense is disobedience to the Father. Let's have that same heart and mindset that we don't want to disappoint or displease our Heavenly Father. Let's be available for Him and to Him to accomplish every assignment that He has for us. And it starts by surrendering. It starts by abandoning. Abandoning ourselves, who we think we are, who we've been, and all that. God is a good God. He's such a merciful, loving, heavenly Father. And He wants to make Himself real to you.